This is Cruex by 2X, the podcast for learners. Hello, this is the first episode of Cruex. I'm your host, Eunice, and the show is for all our student listeners out there. We recognize that studying and learning comes with its own set of challenges, but we want to help break down the scary and stressful mental barriers that you might have. This series will showcase a variety of individuals and their journeys to get to where they are now. For today's episode, our guest is Kelvin. So, Kelvin, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us about what you do? Hi, Eunice. Uh, so, I'm Kelvin. Um, I work in Amazon as a software engineer. I've been working there for almost five years. And before Amazon, I went to school at SFU uh, for interactive design, and uh, I graduated as a interactive design uh, graduate. Okay, cool. So for people who don't know what software engineers or front-end engineers do, could you just briefly describe it for them? In the big picture, what we do is uh, we get a specific problem or feature that is need to be solved for the customer through the user interface. For my case, I'm a front engineer for web, then it would be the website. Then we take this problem and then we tackle it into how it works in the back end architecturally. Then we develop the technical features and then apply it on the website. Then that comes the front end part. Then after we're finished, it becomes the actual product. Then customer mm. gets to use it. Okay, that's pretty cool. So basically you help set up the stuff that we get to use as consumers. Yeah, the day-to-day stuff when you open, for example, if you go to Amazon.com, then you see your shopping cart or stuff like that. Then those visual aspects are stuff that I usually work on. Mm, Okay, so we're actually going to bring it all the way back. When you were a kid, what did you want to be? When I was a kid, I guess I was a little bit more on the creative side. I, I think I tend to be wanted to be more of a designer. I guess that's also why my degree is a design degree. So you kind of knew that you always wanted to be creative and to make things. Yeah, I always wanted to make things and do my own thing. Yeah. So then what was your academic experience like, say in high school or even in post-secondary? So I was born in Canada, but actually raised in Hong Kong till grade four, and then came back to Canada. Wow. As a kid, it was a little bit hard for me to follow the academic curriculum because uh, I was diagnosed as a dyslexic student. So I actually went to elementary school and then went to some special need school and then go back to uh, high school and then just continue on. The journey is kind of funny because I figured out that I was dyslexic around grade five, I think. And then that school told me that uh, if you're dyslexic, And the latest time that you can start trying to study as a dyslexic student, there's a cutoff line, and I think that's grade six. So I actually only went there for like just early enough so that I could start the special school journey. Wow, that's pretty crazy because, you know, you have dyslexia. How does that affect you in your career? In my career, I guess it's not as much. It's more of during my academic life because Mm -hmm. that's when I overcome the problem of being dyslexic. 
So what dyslexic is like, it's when you see characters that are very similar, at least for me. <laughs> so something like P or Q, B or D, I would mix up them and I would think they're, they're the same word or the same character. Which I won't think they're the same character, but when I see them, my brain is telling me that, oh, these are just the same thing. Uh, but as a dyslexic student or person, we are just better in learning in visual, but not characters. Uh, visually or audioly, that, that, it's, that just makes it easier for us. So we will try to find methods that we can learn the same type of uh, information through a different method. For example, mm-hmm. if I need to read a textbook, maybe I could get an audio version of the textbook. Or if I need something, do some math or physics stuff, uh, more graphical elements right. would be easier right. for me to absorb the material. Oh, so did like your schools have any sort of accommodations for you, or was that just something you had to learn on your own and kind of figure out on your own? So back then, I think dyslexic was not that common. So I'm very lucky that. My aunt saw a TV show and then she figured out, oh, there are people who are dyslexic and these are the symptoms. And I just tend to match it. Uh, that's <laughs> why she... Then my, my parents brought me to this psychiatrist to do some testing and then they figured out that I was dyslexic. There were no special help until when I was in high school. I don't think uh, in Canada back then they have any support for it. But right now they do. So I remember when I was in high school, I got this special need class. And then usually we get eight classes in one semester. So one of the class for me was to go to this special help class where I just bring my homework in and people would help me. What about in post-secondary? Post-secondary? Did SFU have any uh, accommodations back in the day? Yeah, it's uh, they have some. It's quite nice. They, they actually provide a laptop and a software and a scanner. So you can yeah. actually scan your textbook and then the software would read the text in there and becomes an audio version of the textbook. Mm-hmm. And uh, something on the financial side, if you're a special needs student, they also provide um, special grants for, for <laughs> special needs students. That's always good to know. But what was your experience as a student like? Did you enjoy interacting with other classmates and like teachers? Or were you more like figure it out, do it all by myself on the computer type? As a young kid, my academic level wasn't that great. I have been failing most of my courses (laughs) until grade 11. And then I started picking up things because I need to go to university. So I don't think I really learned how to enjoy studying until my very last year of my university. Wow, I mean, better late than never. (laughs) Yeah. I guess the next question is, what is your biggest failure as a student? And did you learn anything from it? Yes, I guess for my biggest failure, it's uh, I tend to give up very easily. As I mentioned, I came from, I, I came back from Hong Kong when I was in grade five-ish. My English back then wasn't that great. Uh, And I was in this ESL program, which is, um, what does it stand for? English English. as a second language. Yes, English (laughs) as second language. And then when I was in high school, there's this ESL program where you get a chance to get out this ESL program in the first Mm. two months if you perform very well. Mm, Um, I was very lazy and I wanted to take shortcuts. So I tried my very best to perform very well in the first two months. But usually it doesn't work out. If you don't meet the requirements, you just don't meet the requirements. <laughs> but then uh, every time that I know I fail on um, trying to get out of the program, 
and then you get lazy for the rest of the year. <laughs> and then the second year, I repeat again. So the same story repeated like three times. That's oh, wow. why I mentioned I kept failing almost every course until grade 11. It's grade 11, that's when I kind of figured out, okay, I just can't keep repeating my mistake like yeah, this. So you just had like a, a switch, like you flicked the switch on and then you started being more studious. Yeah. <laughs> so earlier you mentioned that you graduated from a user design program, but now you're a software engineer. What made you decide to become a software engineer and what was that transition like? So actually when I graduated, uh, I wanted to become an interactive designer, which means design more things that's more digital related. But turns out I went into a marketing firm. I worked as uh, in the marketing agency as a graphic designer slash uh, project manager. So I really wanted to uh, work on more digital related stuff. So I've been doing freelancing work for websites, uh, apps, and slowly and slowly I gained more interest and I gained more knowledge in coding. And then what I did was I quit my day job and I went through a boot camp that's uh, three months long. Afterwards, I worked in a startup, then worked for another year, then I transitioned to Amazon. What was the startup experience like? I know startup culture is blowing up lately, especially here on the West Coast. Yeah, for my startup experience was kind of unique, in Vancouver at least. Mm -hmm. The startup that I attended, to, they actually rented an apartment and then hired three people to begin with. So I was one of them and then I actually lived and worked in the same apartment for a year. Wow. <laughs> Were there any major struggles that you Major struggles? Yeah, because as I mentioned, there's uh, the three months program. They actually prepare you enough so that you just have the very basic knowledge so that you can start Googling or asking questions on how to solve the problem. So the knowledge that I got actually is not enough to solve any of the problems I see today. <laughs> I actually have to use those knowledge to figure out what the problem is uh, and then solve the problem. So, so I actually have to work a lot of overtime yeah. for the first year. Uh, so it's like they gave you a toolbox, but you had to learn how to use all the tools. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, moving on. What's one thing you wish you had known before starting your career as a software engineer? I'm sure, especially with that transition as a designer into becoming a software engineer, it's definitely a bit of a struggle. <laughs> huh, I don't know. Actually, I, I feel pretty lucky. I don't have anything that oh, well, that's I feel good. like I should have known before I go into the industry. You just kind of dived right into it? Yeah, and everything has been pretty smooth throughout. Mm -hmm. Well, have you ever had an opportunity to apply your design knowledge in uh, your position as a software engineer? Yeah, um, as I mentioned, I'm a front-end engineer. We deal with uh, a lot of user interface related things. There are times that where there's only one designer that helps maybe five teams, especially in a big corporate like Amazon. As an engineer, we always have to make some judgment call on how the UI should perform and look like. So these are areas that I can use or make use of my design skills, then I don't have to go back and forth with the designer or wait for the designer to give me a decision. Mm, so you get to be a bit more autonomous when you're working, even yeah. though you're with a team, I'm assuming? Yes. Mm. How big is your team? So when I first started in Amazon, my team was five. There was five people in Vancouver and then six people in Seattle. Right now, it's close to five years. It grew from that number to around 30 people wow. in Vancouver and 10-ish people in Seattle. So you guys, I guess, work a lot together? 
yeah, with the uh, Seattle and the Vancouver teams? Yes, because as a big team, we only have two front-end engineers and oh. we continuously build new features. Right. And then not only that, we build new features that the back-end engineers are building, but the PMs would also come up with new features. So I have to juggle back and forth on mocking up new features that are not being implemented and features are being implemented. So you're one of the two front end. Yes. Wow. I guess that perfectly leads us into the next question. Do you ever feel burnt out because you're one of the two in a very large team? Yeah, there are feature, feature delivery times and during those times it's pretty hectic. There could be cases that we work overtime, we work through the weekend, just try to deliver the feature. How do you stay motivated in those times? <laughs> stay motivated? I think uh, that's been a huge thing, uh, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic started. A lot of students especially are struggling to stare at their screen for more than two hours with their lectures. And I'm sure like this whole work from home setup, like it's hard to stay motivated sometimes. Yeah, I guess to keep myself motivated, it's uh, you have to know what your personal values are. As long as what you're doing is something that you know is giving value to your own self, then it's very easy to keep grinding through the hard work. Mm. So what are some of these things that you value? <laughs> what are these things that motivate you? What are the things that motivate me? Um, I guess if we're talking about short term or medium terms, it's uh, for example, if it's a career growth, then there must be some aspects that you have to learn or do in order to get your promotion or to get some sort of new knowledge. Mm -hmm. And learning something new is usually not easy. I and <laughs> if it's easy, it's usually not worth your time to learn it. Fair so. enough. Um, is there a common myth about your profession or field that you want to debunk? Tech is something that uh, has been growing a lot or growing exponentially. So I'm sure a lot of people are really interested to know if there are any myths. I guess traditionally people would think engineers are very nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> we just stare at the computer, we don't do much. But uh, it's, uh, it's actually we're just the same as everyone. We still go out and and have fun and it's not just looking at the computer screen all day long and actually there's a lot of meetings a lot of designing you don't just sit and code all day there it's a lot of communicating with other people was coding something that you had to teach yourself or find resources to teach yourself uh in the very beginning i just went online and learned okay. uh, as a freelance designer because i always have to figure out how it what if the thing that i'm designing is possible to be implemented. Right. Yeah, that's uh, my first place of started learning coding, which is online. And then I went to this uh, bootcamp, and then I went there for three months. So that's actually reassuring for a lot of students or listeners out there who are interested in kind of dipping their toes in a tech, but not currently pursuing a program that is involved with tech. All right, moving on to something a bit more fun. I'm sure a lot of students are actually quite interested to know what the work culture at Amazon is like. Would you be able to tell us a bit more about that? Uh, a fun fact about Amazon, it's that in the big meetings that we have, like the bigger ones that, which involve with more people, we always begin with a document. So people come in a meeting, uh, we either have like a six-pager, two-pager, or eight-pager of a document. Then people sit down for 10, 15, or 30 minutes. Everybody go through the document before we start meeting. And 
if somebody have any question about the, the documentation, they could always like use a Google Doc or something similar, then they just drop down the comments. So the first maybe 30 to 40 minutes, it's like a silent meeting, people just reading, commenting, and replying to comments. Mm -hmm. And then if there are things that cannot be uh, solved through the commenting, then people start talking. Mm -hmm. And this is a uniquely Amazon setup. I believe so. I've never heard anywhere else <laughs> it's having their meeting like that. Okay. Yeah. Do you guys have any fun work perks? Like free coffee maybe? <laughs> uh, for Amazon, I, it's very similar to all other tech companies. Uh, there are game rooms, you can play ping pong, you can play foosball. Then there's like, uh, there's usually party days uh, where team, they bring in beer or pizza and then we just have fun. Yeah. Do you guys have an in-house chef? No, uh, so Amazon does not provide free meal. <laughs> Usually that's uh, other companies, but there's one special thing about Amazon It's I think it's very unique to all the office for Amazon. They're usually in downtown somewhere that is more populated. So there are restaurants or bars around the office. But the office that you mentioned that would provide meals, usually they're in a more far area where they need to drive for at least like half an hour to go to a decent restaurant. Uh, I see. All right. So this is more so for our student listeners. What do you think is the most important quality a student should have? I actually think what's most importantly, it's um, for the student to understand themselves. If they understand themselves, they know what they want. Once they know what they want, they're motivated. I believe anyone could do anything in this world, at least most of the stuff, unless you want to become like a NASA engineer. <laughs> that might not be everybody thing. But most of the things that we see day to day should be achievable, can be achievable by anyone, mm -hmm. as long as you have the grit to do it. That's a really good piece of advice. Um, do you have any advice for students in general? Generally, I think as a student, you just need to stay focused. For me, how I went over dyslexic, it's, uh, for me, reading a book maybe takes like 10 times longer than other people. Right. Then the only way that I can fix this problem is I need to read more and become more efficient in reading mm -hmm. so that my speed of reading is the same as the non-dyslexic uh, people. What advice would you give someone who wants to pursue a similar career? If Anyone is very interested in coding, there are always a lot of resources online and you can always begin online to see if you're interested or you can find a tutor. <laughs> find a tutor. Uh, I guess that's fitting. So I guess online resources you'd say are the best resources that have helped you get into the role that you have now. Yeah. Um, the nicest thing is uh, you can do them anytime and they're free. That's very nice. But this requires a lot of motivation and self, what's the word? Like perseverance. Yeah, perseverance, because there's no one to help you and no one to explain what you're going through. Mm -hmm. But if you know anyone who you can reach out help for or help from, then you should always reach out. Yeah, as a advice for, for a student, uh, another advice is 
always reach out for help when you can. There's no point of not utilizing all your resources. That's also a very strong piece of advice. <laughs> Are there any kind of resources that you wish you had back in the day as a student, or maybe as a, like a fresh grad just trying to start their career? In the beginning, I. <laughs> My parents, or especially my mom, she always wanted me to go find a job as soon as possible. Um, it doesn't matter what kind of a job, but uh, as long as I can gain experience from the job. Thinking back, I think so. I actually worked as a sales for a eyewear store, which is totally unrelated to what I studied or what I learned. If I were to redo everything again, uh, I would probably try to focus a little bit more on getting a job that's more related to what I really want to do. Mm. Um, yeah, so I worked worked in that eyewear store for like half a year. I just felt like maybe I could focus on what I really want to do and just go for it because I don't plan to become an eyewear uh, glasses salesman for life. So I would prefer <laughs> to do something that would be more beneficial in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. On that note, how would you define success? Do you consider yourself successful now? So for me, I guess for me, for successful is to be able to create something on my own and be proud of it. It could be very simple as just creating a website that's for my own purpose. So that would be a very successful project, I think. For me, uh, I'm not looking for a one big successful event. It's a multiple of small successful events. I really like that answer. That's wow! I've never heard something like that before. Anyway, since Two X is an ed tech company, or to tie everything all back together, do you have any opinions or thoughts on tutoring? So, since I'm coming from Asia, tutoring is actually a very common thing. And I am also dyslexic, so tutoring becomes <laughs> something that I uh, go to pretty often. I think it's pretty helpful as long as you know or you understand that you need help. And in my special, I'm not sure if I mentioned about me attending to special needs school uh, when I was discovered having dyslexic. I believe one of the main problems I was having is how to do pronunciations with English. So how to see the characters and know how to pronounce the word. During the, th I went there for three months. Even though it's only three months, I remember every day there were two hours of tutor time, purely on pronunciations. Was this private one-on-one? -on -one uh, yeah. So in that school, there are basic curriculums that you go to, and then there are these private one-on-one uh, -on -one classes that you go to. And for me, my weakness was English pronunciations. So for three months, every single day, two hours, repeating the same thing. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, um, it might sound very crazy, um, but it's uh, for me, uh, for for dyslexic people, to learn something that's very character specific. We need a lot more time and re repetition to make it work for us. I'm just curious, this dyslexia experience, was it only with English or did you have it with Chinese as well? Yeah, so I actually have it with Chinese and English. And how my parents figured out in the very beginning that I have a problem is 
So back in Hong Kong, uh, for learning Chinese characters, there are a lot of dictation tests. My mom noticed that uh, when I was in kindergarten, I was getting A's, and then as I get a grade one, it's also A, but grade two become a B, and grade three it's become a C. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and she'll notice that my dictation is really bad. It takes me a full week to memorize maybe 12 characters wow. or 12 sets of characters. And then there was once that she got kind of upset that I can't memorize everything. She scolded at me. <laughs> and then the next hour, I can't remember any of the characters. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. So that's uh, kind of how my parents figured out that there's a problem going on. <laughs> yeah. I see. All right. So we're going to move on to some fun questions. Tell us something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Well, um, I guess one thing that's interesting is when I did my dyslexic test, it turns out that my IQ, I think, I don't know how their chart works, but it was out of 100. My result was 98% in every other aspect. But in terms of writing and reading, it was 2% compared oh. to everyone. Opposite ends of the yeah. spectrum. So this is actually this is just dyslexic. It's yeah. when all your other abilities are way like there's a significant difference compared to your writing and reading ability. Mm. Yeah, that's inspiring to know that even though you have this major, I guess, roadblock, um, you are still very competent in other aspects. Yeah, but the sad thing is. Um, when I was a kid, parents or people around you, they always just look at grades. They don't care about any other thing. So I was really bad at grades. And I remember in Hong Kong, there was a teacher telling me that uh, if you're going to fail in Hong Kong, even if you go to Canada, you're still going to fail. Did you find that that experience made you less motivated to work hard in school? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think subconsciously there's something going on. It's just consciously it never really hit me because I was already being categorized as the, the lower combinator of the uh, class. And look at you. Now you're a software engineer at Amazon. That's, that's a huge jump. Yeah, so I, yeah, academic doesn't matter as much. But it's a place where you prove that you can learn. That's reassuring. So the next few questions I actually got off of the internet. I found a website that gave a list of some of the craziest interview questions. And I thought they'd be pretty funny to go over. So if you had $100 million, what would you spend it on? $100 million. Um, probably I will use that $100 million to try to make another $100 million. Oh, fair, fair, a very adult answer. If someone gives you an elephant you can't, and you can't sell it or give it away, what would you do with the elephant? I don't make friends with him. <laughs> That's, okay, fair, fair. I thought it was going to be something a bit more practical, like using it to get to work. Using it to get to work. It probably is not going to be that efficient. Hmm. Okay, well, Kelvin, thank you so much for your time. That was a really insightful conversation. Do you have any final messages you'd like to say for our listeners? Uh, I guess as a student, there's one thing that is always in my mind that kind of helped me. It's uh, 
try not to pay attention to things that you cannot affect. So mm-hmm. just focus on what you can do and if anything that's outside of your control, then just let it go and just focus on what you can do better. We'll wrap it up here. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. To all of our listeners, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at 2X Education to learn more about 2X and to keep up with our updates. That's all for today. We'll catch you on the next episode of Crew X by 2X.